Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. So much going on today. I'm glad everybody is here with me in the Sam Roberts Traveling Studio. Listen, so much going on today. Uh, I feel like Raw gave us all hope. I feel like if Jimmy Jacobs can be a rosebud, any of us can be rosebuds. Well, maybe not any of us, but at least me. I feel like one day my big curly-haired self will be a rosebud. Who knows? I've seen Noel Foley. I've seen Jimmy Jacobs. Maybe you'll see Sam Roberts on an episode of Raw. I'll talk about Raw. I'll talk about TLC. And, of course, I want to talk to you guys about my take on NXT R Evolution um, and that whole wrestling show. First, let's start with the interview. I get to my monologue after. That's the wonderfulness of this podcast. You know, I always talk about what a wrestling fan I am and that the reason that I do this podcast is because I'm a wrestling fan. One of the people that's made me the wrestling fan that I am today is Mick Foley. I've known Mick Foley for a long, long time. Probably met him seven or eight years ago at this point for the first time, and our paths have crossed many, many times since then. Uh, he's somebody, I was like everybody else. I mean, in high school, there was nobody cooler than Mick Foley. And the fact that we now have a, 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 a relationship, I'll say. We're not dating, but there is a relationship there is a, is a thrill for me. So, I wanted to tell you guys about Mick Foley's uh, movie, I Am Santa Claus. This movie is a great, great movie. I mean, it's a documentary that follows... People who choose to live their lives as Santa Claus. It follows uh, uh, four or five different Santas and, and, and shows them as different people, what they do when it's not Christmas, them trying to get gigs on Christmas. Um, it really – it's a funny documentary. It's, it's insightful, and it's well-filmed. It's well-shot. You feel like you're watching something that a lot of money, time, care was put into. I mean it's like a wrestling storyline. You know – when you're watching a wrestling story, if this thing has not been well thought out. Because you feel it. You're looking at it going, nobody knows. The reason I don't know where this is going is because the people writing it don't know where this is going. They just threw this at me. Versus, I know when I'm watching a rich story that's well thought out, that, that is, there's some purpose behind what I'm seeing. This, I Am Santa Claus, is, is the documentary version of that. It's well thought out. It's 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 perfectly produced. It's soundtracked. It's everything. It's a it's a real live flick. It's on Netflix. I talked to Mick Foley a, f- a couple weeks ago at this point, but uh, since I've spoken to him, uh, it's this movie has been released on Netflix. So I would recommend everybody go out, watch the movie on Netflix. Uh, I am Santa Claus, and then if you love it, buy the DVD, buy the Blu-ray, do whatever you have to do. I got to sit down and talk to Mick Foley, not only about the movie, uh, but about some of what's going on in the world of wrestling. Here it is, the interview for this week's Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, Mr. Mick Foley. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Let's all welcome Mick Foley back into my life. (sighs) There's that sound. There's that sound that accompanies me everywhere. Star. When I can't get the real audio Mm. traction, I make up my own. Good. Well, that's the spirit, isn't it? That's everything. Star of I Am Santa Claus, I would say. 
Uh, well, it's an it's an ensemble piece. Yeah, uh, I uh, I'm not the, I'm not the heart and soul of the music. I'm uh, I may be the feel good part. I yeah, mean, I mean I have to tell you there was a couple moments. I was lucky enough to see the big New York City premiere. Thank you for being there, Sam. Of course, of course. But uh, I went with my wife, who's not a wrestling fan whatsoever. Right. Um, but and that's that's my kind of how I figure whether or not something's successful because. I'm like a lot of wrestling fans. You probably you may get frustrated at times because wrestling fans will tend to just tell you whatever you do is brilliant. Uh, yes, and they're predisposed. Yeah, to to liking it. Oh, Mixon here, I like him. Uh, they want to like. They want. I'm going like to find the good in whatever yeah, this yeah, is. Yeah, but like that's why I keep my wife around to be like. Because she'll tell me if something's is that boring. The only reason you keep your wife. That's it. That? Just to find out if Mick Foley's entertaining or not. That's that's all I need. It's, and what it's, was the report? It's my Foley gauge. Um. It was she. I was looking at her while the movie was on because yeah, I didn't want yeah, her to be yeah. polite to me. Yeah, I saw her get teary eyed at two different points. Let me guess: uh, when uh, Santa Jim mm-hmm. is talking about uh, realizing that he is part of people's lives. Yep, that his uh, um, portrayal of Santa makes him unknowingly part of people's lives, and the second teary part. Uh, maybe during the Foley Christmas Eve visit. That's right. I know you didn't want to say it because it would have been a hurtful no, but absolutely, it was the end. Uh, it was the Foley Christmas visit. Well, that's not necessarily. It might not be a tear inducer, but it's definitely a huge smile inducer, and it's so. Yeah. Uh, listen, it's my mo- it's my movie, mm-hmm. uh, and as we talk- talked about uh, on Opie and Jimmy's show, there's been a backlash within the Santa community, uh, largely, almost entirely from people who have not seen the movie. Uh, you know, one or two people uh, went to the, the the Hollywood premiere and thought it took away from the magic, and uh, thought that uh, you know kids well, would. Uh, I was going to ask that because, like you know, from your years in wrestling, kayfabe. Yes, you know what I mean. And 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 when you first started, kayfabe yes. meant a very different thing than it oh, does yeah, now. Sure. Is there a Santa kayfabe? Uh, not not there. Well. It's it's a strange world, and it reminds me so much uh, of Professor Wrestling. I'm not saying it's a bad world. In a lot of ways, it's a wonderful world because everybody's trying to do their utmost to do what's best, which is spread joy and uh, and perpetuate the, the you know this iconic figure of Santa Claus. Yeah, there are guys who are traditionally bearded Santas who, who put on a beard. And they think they're doing the job best because they're not putting kids in a situation where they're seeing Santa anywhere but in a Christmas setting. But I've been around the real bearded guys. Yeah, we, yeah, and, yeah. And, and it doesn't matter if there's six of them having breakfast at Denny's or in the case of the International Brotherhood of Real Bearded Santa's celebration in Tampa where there are literally hundreds of guys. You know, kids come to the, the celebration. We did a big blood drive. And it's like, See if you can spot the real Santa. Mm-hmm. And not one kid walks out of there going, I don't believe I saw 300 guys. I mean, they gravitate towards the guy that seems that seems like the real deal to them. And right. so one guy, you know, during the Hollywood premiere, it was his first year, you know, wearing the red suit, but a longtime seasoned storyteller. He said, why would you put out a... And this a was a traditionally that, bearded Santa? No, this is a real bearded Santa. Real bearded why Santa. Would you, why would you put out a movie that exposes the magic? I said, it's not, it's not exposing the magic. I said, first of all, all the ways that kids can find out, uh, watching a 90-minute R-rated documentary <laughs> right. is going to be really, really low on that list. You know, almost every kid. I, I can't prove this, mm-hmm. but I, I'm a pretty good, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a pretty good feeling. 
uh, for how things go down. Kids are going to be bored. If they're five, six years old, uh, it might be funny for Santa Russell to be cursing for five minutes, and then they're going to turn on a cartoon because they're going to see it as boring. For yes. a kid who does sit through there, they're, most of them are going to come to the conclusion that my Santa, real name, legal name Santa Claus, is is the real guy. And I think for kids who are not in that magical age, for adults, they come out like that one guy did. I I, I met a couple um, on the elevator uh, going to my hotel, which right. was in Midtown, and they liked my festive you know, attire. Not the same festive attire. This is day 316, consecutive days wearing Santa-themed attire. Well, I was afraid something. you were going to say of wearing this T-shirt. <laughs> not this exact <laughs> no, T-shirt. Nick. Last night I had a beautiful uh, custom-made embroidered yeah. red corduroy uh, a Santa vest, and the woman remarked on how festive it was, and, and, and I said I had a documentary that was premiering. And so without any knowledge as to what the movie was about, uh, I, they knew it was a Santa-related documentary, but I had no idea who I was. Mm-hmm. And they showed up, and during the q and I, I asked if they might have, uh, you know, I, I'd be interested in hearing their feedback. And what the man said, and I think this is going to be kind of universal, he said, I had no idea people were so passionate about their work as as Santa. And I think that's what guys are missing. Guys who are in that world, who are in that bubble, they're going to look at the negative, yeah, uh, which is we show these guys as real flesh and blood human beings who make mistakes just like everybody else. I think to the outside observer, they walk away and they go, they might think a couple of guys are a little crazy. You know, my dear, dear friend Santa and legally changing your name to Santa Claus is a commitment. Yeah. You know, Russell is a little bit cantankerous, but <laughs> lovable. Right. Santa Jim is either the nicest, uh, warmest, most beautiful human being you've met or the devil, depending on how you feel about homosexuality. And I'm kind of the, the jolly guy. I think it'd be hard for someone not to like me in that role because I'm the first timer with stars in his eyes. Uh, <laughs> right. But that's Especially it. after everything that you've been through to still find this avenue where you have stars in your eyes. And you're like, wow, look at this world. Look this is that. amazing. Yeah. I loved it, man. As a dad, I'm glad. And you know my family a little bit. Yeah. You know, the older kids more so than the younger kids. But to see uh, my kids having one of the greatest moments of their lives. And then if you look closer, you're like, you know what? But that guy... <laughs> The big guy with the beard, he's enjoying it more than anybody else. And so I would put that. I mean, and I'm not putting down any of the Rankin-Bass classics or Miracle on 34th Street or Mm -hmm. or Elf. No way am I going to put. But I'll put that scene at my house on Christmas Eve up there with the most touching Christmas scenes you will ever see in cinema. It will. I mean, and it's at the end of the movie. I don't want to spoil everything or whatever. But there is. it's this moment where... And you start, and it's perfect, and it's real life because half of it's filmed on your son's video camera. But it's like this perfect cinematic thing where you go, "Oh, goofy Mick, he thought his trick." Would... Oh, wait a minute! Yeah. Wait just a minute! <laughs> but it sounds like too, you know, you're making we're a little bit about the the kayfabe comparison, but the reactions that you were getting from the people who were saying, "Well, we didn't know that." People were this passionate about it. We didn't know anybody took it this seriously. It doesn't sound that dissimilar from reactions beyond the Mac guy. No, and that's, first that's what attracted me to the project. And that's ultimately what I was. I was writing to some of these guys saying, listen, I was in this, you know, when I say the guys, there is a, a world and a community on 
Facebook and on the internet. And the Santa some of people? Are, yeah, really upset about the movie. The fact that there is a movie exposing, you know, the, the you know, business. Pulling, the business. And I, and, I, and I tried saying, listen, Mr. McMahon to this day does not like Beyond the Map because he thinks it takes away people's ability to enjoy the magic. Mm-hmm. Almost everyone I've spoken to has, you, you know, it's almost universal. They walk out of that experience, whether it's in a theater or on their DVD or on, 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 on cable, and they go, I, I had no idea. Like, they walk out and they have so much more respect for the guys than they did. And I feel like th- this movie accomplishes the same task, that Santa is not something that you resort to. That right. Santa is something you aspire to. It's something that these guys look forward to all year. And there is some sadness, you know, uh-huh. like... Our cast of characters revolves around, you know, there's Santa Bob, mm-hmm. uh, who has everything, I would say, in proper perspective. He says it's number three in his life, behind his his religion, behind his family, and then there, there, there's Santa, you know, and he's very content to be a, a well-compensated Santa at an upscale mall seven weeks out of the year. My Santa... You know he wants to he wants to be that guy, but he can't drop that Long yeah. Island accent. No, he he's, cannot drop he's the Santa Long with a thick Long Island thick accent. Thick Long Island accent. I will say because the, the the tradition of Santa Claus came from the Dutch Sinterklaas, who brought it over to New York with them, that he can fit through that loophole. That to me, Santa would be a New Yorker. Okay, he would be a New Yorker. That's where the Dutch would have trouble. Yes, you'd yes. Have, yeah, that you'd, in New Amsterdam, mm-hmm. you'd have trouble trying to uh, sell that notion to the to the Southern Santas who believe that they've got it down right. Of course, or Richard Attenborough, you know, now now deceased Richard Attenborough as the English Santa. But right. one of the one of the wonderful things about that world to me is that Santa is whoever you see him mm-hmm. as being. Do you think? Because your obsession with Christmas and Santa, a healthy obsession. A healthy one, yeah. Has been well documented. (laughs) But as I I was thinking about it just last night when I was watching the movie, do you feel like the more – because, like, the wrestling world can be pretty negative at times and political and, you know, just – yeah. Especially that coupled with the violent style of wrestling you became accustomed (laughs) for as you got more and more violent and as things kind of – that world became physical. More more. I'll say it got more and more physical. Physical. So I won't use the V word, but uh, it got physical. As that world Extremely got Extremely physical. Kind of uglier and uglier, shall yeah. we say. Did you fall more and more into the Santa world in yeah. your personal life? Yeah, I did. Just to kind of get this sanity? I would retreat uh, because it was, uh, you know, I'm you know, not trying to start the violins here, although if you have a soundtrack, it might be a good time to <laughs> fire them up. But uh, you know, I would come home. For another at, tearjerker with, moment? Another each passing year, you know, it was it was getting harder for me to, to get around. And right. uh, the price to pay for entertaining people in the way that I chose it was uh, was higher. And so I, I needed that retreat. You know, I, when I came home, I wanted to be as far away from that world as possible. And, and obviously, you know, these moments I had as a child at Christmas time meant a lot to me. And the moments that I spent with my kids at Christmas were things that I wanted to expand and celebrate throughout the year. And so I wanted to have a, a part of that Christmas magic with me uh, uh, year long. Did you get frustrated that? especially at the time, wrestling fans couldn't really grasp the fact that you wanted to separate yourself from that because it was your every day. Like, and it's, I mean, I think yeah. it's the same thing everywhere. Like, 
you know, I don't really want to talk about what goes on on the radio everywhere I go. There's other things that are going on in my life. And other- it's funny because, uh, uh, you know, my, my Twitter account, you know, especially for a guy, I, I'm still a, so obviously in people's minds, I'm still associated with WWE. I don't have a contract, but I'm always going to be a WWE guy. And but- as, and it seems like also as you've separated more and more, you've been able to start watching the product. You have opinions. I watch the product. Yeah, yeah I can. I can. You know, I'm very honest with my opinions. Sometimes <laughs> yes. it's, I believe it's always appreciated. Really? You know? Yeah, I believe they look at it, and I believe they take my 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 uh, opinions into consideration. Even I when really you threatened don't. to smash your TV, I did smash my TV. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I think they realized that I was upset, and they did respond. And I mean, Triple H said, "Mick, as an author, you should know not to judge a book." By its cover, and I said, "All right, I'll be looking forward to seeing how the how the story ends." And I said, "You want some guy to go on?" And You're like Hunter. No. My book was about me, and I was on the cover. You can sometimes judge a book by its cover. <laughs> uh, but but going back to 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 what you're saying, um, there are uh, a, I mean, what I was trying to say is I've got a pr- pretty large following now on social media. Yeah. Uh, and I, but I've got two accounts, especially being a non not a guy who's out there in the you know uh, on a weekly basis with the hey follow at real Mick Foley pretty large following and it grows by a few thousand every every week whereas my alternate account <laughs> at Foley is Santa loses a hundred followers <laughs> a week. So I'll check. Wow. And I'll just say to my daughter, look, uh, another hundred people dropped me. And she goes, Why? I said, Because I think it's pretty clear they're like, Okay, we 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 accept that you love this, right. but we'll give we're that. not we're not gonna take that ride with you. <laughs> but now that it's you know, November and now that I, I think people are realizing he's been wearing Santa themed clothes for three hundred and sixteen consecutive yeah. days. That's not gonna drive people to theaters. Mm-hmm. It may not even induce them to uh to to purchase a DVD. But I believe when it shows up on Netflix after uh, Thanksgiving that people will check it out and they'll see the same passion that I you know, that I put into I think it's far more inspirational to see somebody, you know, displaying equal passion for something than going through the motions at something yeah. they used to love. And don't yeah. get me wrong. I still love wrestling. I was on a few weeks ago. I was on Raw. It was a, a highlight for me to come well, out. And, and what was it like a few weeks ago when you were on Raw? Because I was watching, and you've said in your books and everything, that there are moments where you go out there for the paycheck, and then yeah. there are moments where you really went out there. Yeah. And it felt like there it was, was a good, It was a real Mick Foley It was a moment. good moment, and uh, I was in a position where we were uh, um, about to uh, have the world premiere of I Am Santa Claus in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and I got the call from WWE, and we were scheduled to do uh, Kevin Smith's podcast and Mark Maron's podcast, and for a guy like me, a performer, whether you call me a comic or a yeah. spoken word guy, Mark Maron's podcast is Huge. a big deal. And uh, to give that up in order to do a spot on wrestling was not a decision I made easily. Kevin, Is that what you had to do? Uh, yeah. Kevin, thankfully, uh, he attended the premiere with his wife, loved it, which meant so much. When he's, when he's there, you're on his pad, podcast, and he's explaining exactly why it was a great movie. Mm-hmm. Not just the storylines, but about being beautifully shot and the score. I mean, and, and it, uh, my first reaction to him was, Kevin, you just kind of made me feel Critic proof, and he joked. Uh, apparently, you haven't seen some of my reviews. I said, "No, not that." I said, "The fact that you got it right means that it's there to be gotten." Right. And so, no matter what anyone else says, my initial gut reaction internally is going to be, 
Kevin Smith liked it. He knows more about movies. Probably the same way in the comedy world when Judah Friedlander is like, yeah, you're on the right track. You're like, I'm going to listen to that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not not a few of those. Yeah, those other guys. You need those people. We're going to be brutally honest with you. Right. But to tell you, hey, you've got something, you should pursue that. So when this uh, Raw offer came in, uh, honestly, if it had been something where they wanted me to be on a panel or or in a backstage vignette, I I would have said. And my initial reaction was, I'm sorry, I'm doing press for a movie. And then I thought about it. They told me the role. I was like, man, that's something I want to do. Like, because it's uh, the best scenarios in wrestling result when everyone wins. And I knew I would be in a case where I could come up with my own verbiage and where I had a, a, a chance to be out there in a, in a, um, in a surrounding that people associated with me, with me, me with, with yeah. the cell. And, and, and using your own verbiage is not like something to scoff at this day and age. That's not something that happens yeah, all yeah, that often. Yeah. It doesn't happen all that often if I'd been, and, and I was really thankful they didn't hand me a bunch of stuff. They just had ideas of where they wanted me to go. And I said, this is what I'd like to do. And then I said, listen, if this goes correctly, um, I'm going to, my, my goal is I want to put Dean over Ambrose. Mm -hmm. I I, want to put Seth Rollins over. I want to put the stipulation. I want to put the cell itself over the match itself over. And if I do all those things correctly, I'll get over simultaneously. But the goal, honestly, and I've got faults. But when I'm out there and I've got that microphone in my hand, I think I've got everything in, you know, the correct proportion, which is if I do my job right, I'll get over by extension. And then uh, once I walked out there in that ring, it was like, you know, it felt special. It felt magical. It didn't feel not that there's anything wrong with being the guy in a funny vignette. But I walked out of that experience saying, you know what, I can do this. Even if it's once a year, they know that they can call me on the phone yeah. and I'm going to deliver for them. And so I will have to think, you know, next time the phone rings and says, hey, we want you to present an award at the Slammys, you know, I, I, you know, I might I might do it. I probably will. It looks now like WWE Network is going to be producing, you know, the uh, the the my special. Oh, that's great. And that will immediately put to rest all those questions. What does he do? What does he do? You, yeah. You've been at my shows and I'll ask people, does anyone have any idea what I do? And it's like only 5% of the people. And the fact that, you know, there's a buzz going around and the fact that, you know, people have shown up putting down their hard-earned money on an unknown entity like my show in a right. tough economy is and, showing and, a lot of faith. And as far as, like, your shows go, and I will say this without uh, blowing smoke up your ass, um, there's a it's a really difficult thing to do to combine pro wrestling and entertainment because yeah. they're almost two separate worlds. Like, people either <laughs> like pro wrestling or they like everything that's not pro wrestling. Yes. and. I've been obvious, I've interacted with every comic ever. I've been uh, I've seen every comic you can imagine, and I've also seen every wrestler you can imagine. Yeah, yeah right, right. Um, but there's a big difference. Like I went to Caroline's and I saw yeah. the Iron Sheik roast, yes. right? And it was like the fans that were there for wrestling did not want to hear any of the comedians. Right. The fans that were fans of comedy were like, "What are these? What, what's like New Jack doing up there? He's just kind of rambling and yeah, saying wrestling yeah. stuff." You have figured out a way. To still incorporate wrestling, yeah. and so the wrestling fans know, and actually tell stories. And I used my McFoley gauge. I used my wife <laughs> to do something that's entertaining. Like regardless, yeah, it's an entertaining story. And it's funny because I'll look out at the audience, and I'll sometimes I'll ask if anyone's brave enough to admit they're not a wrestling fan, or brave enough to point behind their wife's back. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say, "You're gonna have a better time than you're expecting." And Are you on high alert to watch eyes glazing over? Because uh, I feel like I feel like as somebody who, who 
who watches wrestling and has watched <laughs> wrestling forever, like just in normal conversation, like I have to know little words where it's yeah. like, now you've passed it. Like now you've <laughs> lost whoever you're talking to. No, I, the look I, I really cherish is about the 10 minute mark. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, it's almost indescribable, but I'll just say it's a look of relief and like this look of pleasure where they realize I'm having fun. Like <laughs> right. I was not counting on this. And in some <laughs> ways, well, they don't realize now they can no longer hold this evening over their husband's head yeah. for the next five years. And go, I went to that Mick Foley show with you. And they, they enjoy because there are stories about interesting people. And, and, and I know going in, like, some of my stories are going to involve some, <laughs> some grisly injuries. Right. So if I, don't, if I don't create an atmosphere of warmth, then I'm just a guy telling gross stories. Mm-hmm. And so I try to make people care about, about the people in the same way, and I'll, and I'll jump into the, the, the Santa thing and why it appealed to me, but yeah. in the same way that I, I took great pride in the fact that there were moms who would pick up my first book, you know, have a nice day, and go, okay, I wonder it's great that Jimmy's reading. I wonder what this is. And I go, I can't put this down. This yeah. is a really good. Well, that, I don't even story. know how aware of it. I feel like that book became the book for wrestling fans to give to their girlfriends. Like, <laughs> no, I know you don't get it, but here, read this. It'll explain. And I, I think I'll go on a limb and say, I mean, the wrestler to watch for people who don't like, you know, like, yeah. and not just for the outrageous stuff, but I think in a weird way, like the women, like they sense, like sensitive, you know, right. I, I like him. Like, I can get caught up in his problems, whether they're fictional or not. Like, he makes me feel like I should be supporting him. And that's what I love. You know, that's what I love about the movie I Am Santa Claus is that you don't have to be a Santa enthusiast, you know, yeah, to— I think the movie actually works in the opposite way. Like, the fact that you guys made it R-rated, the fact that you kept it honest and real. Like, you have Santa cursing. You have Santa drinking. You have Santa— you're talking about Santa's sex life, whether he's a gay Santa who's going to a bear convention or a swinger Santa who's got to get past these stereotypes. Like it's like, okay, this is actually interesting stories about these characters. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, and completely unexpected. Right. Uh, and then in the end, I, I just I give a lot of credit to the director Tommy Avalone and his uh, producers uh, Derek Linderman. And and if you don't mind, I'll pat myself on the back a little bit there because. Uh, um, you know, a lot of that jolliness that comes together in the last 20 minutes was stuff that I was very hands-on for, even to the selection of, uh, you know, a jolly old St. Nicholas for the theme song. Is You know, you're working on a low-budget documentary. Well, and I was going to yeah. say, because I've heard other people talk about low-budget documentaries. Yeah. And you watch them, and you're like, okay, yeah, I can, I can tell that that's a low-budget doc. Right. But this one, like, some of this, you must have just, figured out how to spend money smartly because you've got WWE footage, which yeah. can't be cheap. You've got legitimate music. It doesn't look like it was filmed on camcorders. It was actually filmed on something <laughs> professional. Like when I was watching this movie in a theater, it wasn't, oh, you know, they must have rented out the theater yeah. and they let them play this. It was like, no, this is a movie that yeah. could be conceivably shown in a they theater. They got a lot of, like, a lot of bang for their buck. Uh, when it came to WWE, because they were a publicly held company, they had to charge us for the footage. Right. And at first, I thought the charge was a little extreme. And I went in, I talked to Kevin Dunn, the head producer. And I, I don't want to, you know, I don't know if Kevin wants me saying this, but when he watched the scene at Christmas Eve, Kevin was wiping away tears from his <laughs> eyes. And I'm like, geez, Kevin, you're a guy in a production truck for 20 weeks, 20 hours a week. And in, and in another 60 hours a week, 
he's about an 80 hour a week guy. Like you're, we're in the business in some way. I don't mean this negatively of manipulating emotions. That's right. how you get people in three, you know, in, enthusiastic about the show. And, and yet we had him, you know, clearly touched. And he goes, I goes, I'm sorry. He goes, but I'm, I'm a father and that's real. And so we worked out a deal that worked for both of us. We're going to work for the shareholders where they weren't giving away for free, mm-hmm. but it wasn't as much as we, you know, they'd ask for. At uh, one time, somebody wanted twenty five thousand for a Frankie Valley song, and we were able to get it, you know, for for five hundred. Wow, uh, uh, that's, that's some shrewd negotiating. Dee Snyder, uh, fortunately, Dee's a good friend of mine, yeah. and we were able to get, uh, you know, his version of "Deck the Halls" for a pittance. We're using like uh, songs in the public domain, you know, but right. but you you know, so in in the case where there's magical transfer, and it is magic when I transform, mm-hmm. you know. It's like uh, it's almost like movie magic, but it's it's a real transformation with the bleaching of the beard. Uh, we had Carol of the Bells. Carol of the Bells is a um, public domain song because it's so old, but you can't use Mannheim steamroll rollers. <laughs> Carol of the Bells. <laughs> so we had our own guy create the music, you know, like a guy gotcha. creating the score, original songs. Jolly old St. Nicholas works perfectly, but we can't use the Chet Atkins version. So mm-hmm. we had to come up with our own version. And we had this amazing guy, Toothpick, who had written songs for uh, Morgan Spurlock's uh, Super Size Me, coming up with original rap songs for Santa's Barbecue. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, I see the money. I know I know these guys skimped. And that's why I, like, I, the one notion that really bothers me in the Santa world is the idea of, yeah, you guys do anything for a buck. And it's like, you know, these guys worked on this for three years. Yeah. They slept in airports. They traveled with four people, you know, in an economy car. Like, they cut corners everywhere. Even my bleaching scene is done in a $55 motel room. Like, every dollar's on that uh, on that screen. And right, that, to make sure it looks like yeah. there was they money. Did, they did that. an amazing job. There's, you know, claymation. It's a... It's a really and it's well good made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what Kevin was saying. He was pointing out it's beautifully shot claymation, yeah. the songs it comes together. So even if you're somebody who's personally offended uh, by, by you know by one of our Santas or by the material, you know to to dismiss it as a piece of you know a blank movie is just is wrong. It's a, right. it's, a, it's a it's a good it's a good movie. Um, let me ask you. Uh, you were famous. You famously said before that you, at one point in your career, didn't want to be the guy who pulled a sock out of his pants. Yeah. And then you realized the transition. You're like, you know what? This kind of works. So we go forward. Did is there any part of you that's like, well, if I become Santa, does that shadow the sort of death match, Hell in a Cell, got, or do you want that shadow? You guys see me shaking my head. <laughs> not, not at all. Uh, and, and, and I have WWE Network partially to thank for that. Like, my legacy is... <laughs> Cemented. Secure. Yeah. <laughs> Someone wonders, like, why there's no wrestling memorabilia in my house. I'm like, yeah, I've got something that reminds me that I was a wrestler. It's, it's called waking up <laughs> in the morning. You know, like... <laughs> and and I'm and I'm approached, and I don't mean this in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Like every day, somebody you know mentions things to me, and it's funny. My kids will be walking with me, and there's only so many ways that you can answer somebody talking about Helen and Sal. But then, <laughs> and it's still the first time I interviewed you. You said that this was the one question you get asked all the time. Sixteen years, and uh, now more than ever, you know. I mean, I'm a, you live with it. It's like you know. Uh, Adam West, learn you know you better learn to live with it yeah. and love it, or else it'll, it'll haunt you. 
But my kids would be walking through an airport, and some guy would just go, as he's walking by, he won't say, hey, can I take a pic? He'll go. He won't start up by going, I know you're with your family, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I hate to do this, but. Yeah, I don't mean to be a bother, <laughs> but. Right. But a guy will just go, thank you for everything you've done. And I'll say, you're welcome, and I'll walk walk away. And my son will go, you like when people do that, don't you, Dad? And I say, yeah, it's, it's always nice to be appreciated. And so I get that every single day. And and uh, Dee Snyder, who I mentioned, uh, was kind of, along with J.J. French, and the other members of Twisted Sister were mm-hmm. nice enough to give us uh, Deck the Halls for almost nothing. Uh, he, he said to me, like, he, we feel a certain kinship. You know, D.D., you know, the, he dressed in the drag. He, he was a bad, you know, he's a badass, you know, like – he had to get a bodyguard once he started making money to prevent him from leaping into crowds <laughs> and beating up unruly fans. And D said, he goes, do you find that what you did in the ring makes it easier to turn around and do things like that are kinder, that might be considered more sensitive, that guys that didn't have our background might have trouble doing? And I said, absolutely. Like, So I have no problem, A, like when I was a commissioner, and there's a guy wearing a Mick Foley St. Mick. T-shirt. I close that. Um, I had no problem when I was a commissioner in 2000 being being the nerd, right? Being the least tough guy in the room because I, everyone well, who'd watched me knew that uh, I had the background. I was also thinking because you did Opie show and Vic Henley was busting your balls, <laughs> and, and and that's part of you know being in the stand-up world. Stand-ups bust each other's balls, yeah, but yeah. is there any part of you normally stand-ups are busting each other's balls because they? can't fight you know what i mean like the reason that i make fun of people is because i can't i can't fight anybody so so is there any part of you like does that click in at all that you're like i'm the king of the death match god damn it who are you talking to <laughs> no, no. no i did get a aggravated there you know like, yeah, I, did. like you I, know I understand what i could it. do to you i understand it makes for good radio i right. thought he went a little excessive on me there you right. know, i was a, obviously a new guy i didn't know the light you know i didn't know how to to put uh, you know seven minutes in a light at five i didn't know that fortunately i'm in a position now where i don't need to know that because I, you know i do my own shows and i can go as you know as usually as, as long as i want and i and i love that Love that freedom, but the fact that I was showing up for free at the comic strip, and the fact that I was showing up at my local clubs, you know, yeah. governors and McGuire's and Long Island, like one of the other guys going, "Hey, can can I do six to eight? No money, no mention," and that's where you really cut your teeth, and mm-hmm. uh, you cannot appreciate the good times until you've had a couple of those absolutely disastrous, uh, disastrous moments. I mentioned uh, to Jim to Jim. Uh, Norton before I left the show I said yeah I remember what you told me about he did uh, Shane and Vince McMahon's uh, Shane's bachelor party yeah as a new comic who tanked yeah and it's painful to tank it's painful in a way I would imagine especially in front of the McMahon's in front of the McMahon's (laughs) and it reminds me so much of being an independent wrestler where every match is your most important match and if you screw up, you may not have, you may not be able to redeem yourself for weeks. Then when I was in WWE, you have a bad match. You're like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to redeem myself tomorrow. When you're a guy out there and you don't know when your next gig is, whether it's a comedy event or a wrestling show, it's like you live with that failure for weeks and it eats at you. And so I'm glad I went through those. Like, so now when I'm on stage and I'm comfortable, like I can much better appreciate the fun I'm having because there were some times that were absolutely miserable yeah i would yeah i mean and you have to it's like you can always the people who come straight to wwe for instance without having to really pay dues at some point 
that thing clicks in. It just doesn't last. There's not. And I feel bad for those guys because there is there is no territories to learn your trade. You know, there's NXT and they're doing a wonderful job with developmental and the guys go out there and they work their butts off in the independent scene in order to get noticed. But like I I was so fortunate that I I went to Memphis or I did not enjoy myself. You know, I was there for four months and I Mm -hmm. went to world class championship wrestling out of Dallas. For almost a year, and in Dallas, you know, you you hit your angles on Saturday morning TV so that you could do your Friday night TV in the Sportatorium. And whether, you know, your paycheck depended greatly on how well you pulled off those angles. There's literally money on the line. Right. Not much. You know, I wasn't making much, but it was still that. Am I getting dinner tonight or not? (laughs) That if you did well, you would see that that Friday night show would increase. And, um Guys, in a lot of cases, haven't had the chance to find their own characters. They're making their mistakes on the big stage instead of making them in a TV studio in Memphis or the Sportatorium in Dallas or when I worked for Continental in in Alabama. Like, I had a lot of chances to mess up badly with Mm -hmm. very few people watching so that when I finally did get on the the big stage, and I'm talking about not just WCW in, in late 89 and then, you know, you know, through 93 with a year and a half hiatus and through 94 with a year and a half hiatus in between. But when I showed up in WWE in 96, like I, I felt like I belong there. Right. And I felt like I had earned the right to, uh, you know, to go to bat for myself. And if I thought something was a bad idea, I would voice it. I was diplomatic. You but know, you need to have that confidence. Uh, yeah. Where, no, I know what my value is. Yeah. I know what I'm capable of. Yeah. And, uh, and, and guys are coming in. Um, unfortunately, you know, it's, it's tough to develop that when you've only got a few years under your belt and you're just happy to be there. Yeah. And so Mr. And plus, McMahon, then I would imagine when you're in NXT and you're getting all these opportunities, like we've got this whole facility, it must be getting pounded in, like be thankful that you have this. Cause most people don't have this. And that's yeah. that mentality that doesn't necessarily breed confidence. Yeah. It's a, it's a difficult situation. I know we're getting way off uh, <laughs> the shameless self-promotion of <laughs> I am Santa Claus. That's, that's right. I'm here to talk about. Uh, but Vince is big on grabbing the brass ring. Yeah. Uh, but the guys there in NXT, they become almost like a family. Yeah. Because they're there and they're training, and it's hard to be that guy that says, no, I'm going to be better than everybody else. Let me you, grab this for myself. You kind of have yeah. to be willing to pull the rug out from under yeah. somebody if you have to. In a sense. I was lucky in that I, I had a unique character, and if I had a real strength as a wrestler, it was that – uh, I gelled well with almost anybody, right. and if I did a good job, everyone was going to benefit. That was what uh, hopefully I brought to the table. So, like, you'll see something on Twitter, and they'll say, like, I think Mick Foley was the most important opponent for The Rock and for Triple H. And I like to think, you know, when any of the guys sit down, they go, all right, who were the most valuable people that I wrestled? Like, who was I better off for having been with that my name would show up on that small list of four or five guys that were yeah. instrumental in their uh, development. And I guess that's the legacy. Let me ask you about Hell in a Cell. Did you watch the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view recently? Yes, I did. What do you think, because I'm watching this pay-per-view, and I'm reading on Twitter, everybody on the internet is obsessed with this idea that WWE can't tell stories, especially in a cage, without blood. Um, I'm of the opinion that you can yeah, do it so without too. blood. Yeah. But but So you think that... You just need to find more creative ways to tell stories. Yeah, it makes it more difficult. Sure. It does. Uh, but I, I thought, 
People are you know people are jaded. You know they yeah. see they've seen a lot, especially the long term fans. Uh, you know who who watch every week and been doing it for years. Uh, they've seen a lot. Guys are really you know people say to me oh you guys really put out in the attitude era. I was like no these guys are really putting out too, and in some ways even more so because uh, a few developments. Everyone has short hair. <laughs> they're in high definition yeah. everything has to be in there and when you remove like some of the extreme measures you're also in a way taking away the shortcuts and uh and right so the matches are extremely physical and guys are working just as hard if not harder than ever yeah because you have they, to convince somebody that this chair shot is the most devastating thing yeah. without it hitting my head yeah and yeah. and so now i, I mean like i look and now a guy uses a chair across the back. All mm-hmm. right, everyone knows that stings. But in order to make a statement, now they use it 12 times. And I'm looking. I know what hurts and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And when they start going to the shoulders, and that's where you start chipping bones in your elbows. And I imagine that a lot of the guys are, are you know, are, are suffering for their art. And I thought both of the cell matches delivered. I thought Triple H and, and John Cena had an excellent cell match. You mean especially, Orton. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, John Cena and Orton had an excellent cell match, especially given how many times they've been in the ring together. Yeah. And I think, in there, and I, I uh, reposted this article, uh, I don't know if it was from Bleed, uh, Cage Side Seats. I think it was Cage Side Seats talking about the fact that more people aren't talking about uh, um, uh, Seth Rollins and Ambrose in the cell is a good sign because, yeah, people didn't like the inconclusive finish, mm-hmm. you know. But I know that one of my greatest matches was against Shawn Michaels at Mind Games. And at the time, the knock was it had an inconclusive finish. And it's like, guys, I was in control of 26 minutes and 57 seconds right. of that match. Uh, don't blame me for the right. for the other three. And those guys worked their butts off. And the fact that they went on last, they were the main event, and that they were accepted as main event pay-per-view wrestlers was a a huge – it was a huge moment in both their careers and for WWE. And I did read people saying, yeah, but a Hell in a Cell match is supposed to be conclusive. And and I was like, did you see the first one? The the very first one (laughs) had interference in it. Yeah, that's right. That was a a classic match. 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 Now, my (laughs) – the Cell match with The Undertaker could not have been any more conclusive. Like, there had never been a more clear – But I was going to say there had never been a more clear-cut – Winner, but at the same time, we both walked out of there. Yeah. I limped greatly with the help of two other people, but I did not go on a stretcher. And that damn Terry Funk did get involved. <laughs> he, did get, <laughs> he did get involved. Uh, but it was clearly a moral a moral victory. And, uh, you know, that I mean, that was kind of an anomaly in the sense that you'll never have something like that taking place again. So as you're trying to move on with your life and, like, appreciate the things that you really appreciate and, 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 and get involved in Santa life and, and all this stuff, when your daughter Noel becomes this like super WWE fan, like one of the biggest WWE fans I've ever seen, are you going like I can't I can't get away from this stuff? My daughter is a fan who has fans. It is, yeah, it's so surreal that when I walk out of the Barclays Center, they mm-hmm. chant "Holy's daughter," and you know, and she's a striking young woman, yeah. and she's she's six feet tall without heels, and she's funny, you know, yeah. like. People are drawn to her. Um, you know, I'll, I'll tweet something out. I've got my 1.15 million followers. And then she'll tweet something out similar, and she gets almost as many retweets as I do, which means she's got, like, a loyal following. And so 
She's going to be successful in something. I'm not sure what it is. And in the meantime, she's just such a, a great person to hang around with. You know, like she you, loves hanging around with her. Do you her patrol dad. Her, her social media for creeps, though? I understand there there are some out there, yeah. and that kind of comes with the territory. And then, you know, for every person who's going to say something unnecessarily mean about me, there's going to be somebody who's going to say something ridiculous about about her. But the truth is, my younger kids have a YouTube channel, and the feedback they get is so brutal. It's just, it's almost inhumane. I, I know it's mostly kids their age taunting them but the fact that there are some adults out there it's like why why i, I like kids why do you even do this to yourself they go no we're okay we're okay so but they kind of get it they kind of get that these are people you know like what i'll say in response to somebody you know a troll is i'll just say a direct you know direct message them because i don't want to retweet it because that's what they want of and course. say what a sad pathetic life you must lead <laughs> you know what a limited hand in the game of life you've been dealt uh-huh. that this is a highlight yeah <laughs> that being blocked is your goal you know goal well, congrats, congrats you did it goal accomplished <laughs> and then you just go on some of the you know they look and you just see these things and it's just going out of their way to make other people's lives and a, it's all they a do a little less enjoyable yeah. and that's like i you know like that's like i i like the Santa movie shows you some greatly flawed people who find a way, in a, you know, to, you know, emerge in that red suit with the best part of themselves. And I'll tell you this again about that Foley moment at the end of the movie. <laughs> it reminds you in this world of like Internet hate and this and that. It reminds you that, wait a minute, it feels good to watch somebody feel good. Like, this, <laughs> these kids feel great. Now I feel great. And look what's happening. Yeah, yeah. And then at the end of the movie, uh, and this was a battle I had with the director, and ultimately I think he was right. I wanted to go home on the high note. Mm-hmm. And he said, but to be true to the movie, we have to bring it full circle. We have to show the loneliness, you know, on Christmas Day. We have to show, you know, the the... Not the despair, but the depression facing our Santa Let's when see. he realizes we the hit gig the high, is up. You we hit get the high, the and we could have gone home, but that would not have been accurate. Right. And when we see Santa Russell, I don't want to give away too much of the movie, but uh, he takes that long, lonely ride on Christmas Day. And uh, thank goodness for D. Snyder's Deck the Halls. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, once, we, once we end... The movie, we hit the afterword, and it's everything's jolly again. Well, listen, you know I support anything Mick Foley does, but everybody should be with me on this. Go see it's, it's, it's probably the easiest way to see the movie is on iTunes. It's I Am Santa Claus. It's also on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, and I, Mick Foley aside... Yeah. Highly recommended. And Morgan Spurlock has attached himself to the it. Fan. So the, the I mean, screening that's... it for Morgan the day after WrestleMania meant that I stayed up, I let the kids go out, let them enjoy themselves. Uh, I hung out with Huey. I didn't sleep at all. At 5 a.m. I went to the airport. And then uh, I, I screened the movie with the director, Tommy Avalone, just for Morgan. And it's it can talk about a harrowing. It's it's like having Mr. McMahon watching your independent matches, <laughs> you know. And here's here's my here's my match, and having him watch like Morgan was for the first five minutes, and then when he saw Santa Jim taking photos in the bathtub <laughs> or the horse trough <laughs> <Yes>. with the <laughs> chickens, he started tapping his feet, and I looked at Tommy, and the feeling was he knows we've got a movie here. That's excellent. And so uh, yeah, we. We've impressed a lot of uh, very important people, and uh, it is it is above and beyond a, a story about 
Santa. It's a story about people and how they strive, you know, to 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 be their best despite difficult circumstances. Well, you do have a movie, and everybody check it out. Mick Foley, thanks for hanging out, man. Thank you, Sam. Here is Sam Roberts. Thank you, Howard Finkel, and thank you, Mick Foley. Remember, everybody, check out the movie, I Am Santa Claus. You have no excuse to not check it out. It's on Netflix now. Watch it on Netflix, I Am Santa Claus, and then you can go to the website. You can find it on Amazon. Actually, if you go to a... a the podcast support the podcast page at notsam.com you can find a link to amazon.com on that page if you click that link and you buy the movie through amazon you can help support this here podcast and by the way some people call it unprofessional improfessional some people call it unprofessional i call it a real look into my life. What other wrestling podcast when i'm setting up the interview can you hear my phone ringing vibrating what other podcast, wrestling podcast, when I'm sitting here talking to you, can you hear the heater going in the background? That kss, okay? This is a look into my life. Nobody is this revealing. Now, I don't have a lot of time. I try to keep this to an hour because otherwise I'm afraid that you guys are going to get tired of me. But let's get into the state of wrestling. So much to talk about today. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Yeah, it is. So look, coming off of a pay-per-view, TLC had its good moments, had its eh moments. There's no doubt in my mind that Dolph Ziggler and Luke Harper went out to TLC to try to not only steal that show, but to try to get at least something back from what they lost uh, at the NXT R Evolution show. If you mean to tell me, I'm telling you right now, in my own personal humble opinion, there is no way that Dolph Ziggler did not purposely take a face full of ladder to bust himself open. You know, it's 2014, okay? We all watched Secrets of Pro Wrestling on NBC. That's how we all found out. You mean they actually cut themselves? I thought they used ketchup. They're taking a little piece of razor blade and they're slicing their forehead open? That's despicable. That's insane. Well, they don't do that anymore. It's 2014. There is no blood. If any of these guys go out to the ring and cut themselves open nowadays, they're going to get a half a million dollar fine. Easy. You read Chris Jericho's book. You know the stories. Um, But there is no doubt in my mind that Dolph Ziggler slammed his face into a ladder so he could say, look, I bled. It was. It happens in matches. It's a ladder match. What can you do? You saw Luke Harper's armpit. When you will take a face full of ladder, because I mean, you don't fake it. You're like, look, I'm gonna actually have to really smash myself in the face with a ladder to heighten the drama of this match. That's commitment to the craft, my friend. All due respect and props and whatever you want to say to Dolph Ziggler for that moment. Um, I think, you know, Roman Reigns came back, and he was on Raw last night. Um, you know, Raw had its good moments and bad moments, too. I mean, I, I wasn't uh, blown away by the whole show. I would say that the uh, best segment of the night was Jericho, Paul Heyman, Brock Lesnar. It's it's tough to say that Brock Lesnar was a huge surprise coming back, number one, because, you know, Royal Rumble is right around the corner. It's six weeks away. And number two, because the new Brock Lesnar t-shirt debuted on WWE Shop right before Raw went on the air. So those two factors combined led me to believe that we may have a Brock Lesnar appearance. But I thought uh, the the war of words between Jericho and Paul Heyman was great. And then the, with Brock Lesnar coming out, um, I thought it was really well done. I loved how the show ended with Brock Lesnar uh, interfering in the cage match between John Cena and Seth Rollins. And I was really scared. 
I thought that because Seth Rollins, after John Cena took an F5 from Brock Lesnar and Seth Rollins took, shook the hand of Paul Heyman, I thought that as long as Seth Rollins was taking to leave that cage, Super Cena was going to find his way up and still win the match. When Seth Rollins was able to take his sweet time and just stroll out of the cage um, and win the match, I thought that was exactly how the show should have ended. Uh, well done on the parts of everybody involved. I, I thought, I, talking about blood, though, it was interesting because we were talking about it with Mick Foley uh, in the interview uh, earlier. That It's tougher to pull off a match like a Hell in a Cell or whatever you want to do it when blood has been, is, is so far gone. Like, it, it is so much illegal now in the world of sports entertainment. But then you turn around and it really made, as far as TLC went, I think uh, Dolph Ziggler, Luke Harper was the match that people were talking about. That was the match with blood in it. I think that uh, Kevin Owens... The former Kevin Steen was the big star of NXT R Evolution. On Thursday, he's the guy that bled. Now, I don't think that all this happened strictly because of blood. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that these guys are bleeding, and we know that blood is not allowed. Okay, we as smart wrestling fans are aware that blood is not allowed in WWE or on NXT or, or, or to have anything to do with those products anymore. When you watch the documentaries that are on the WWE Network, any any part of a match that they're showing with blood in it from 10 years ago is made black and white. Blood has no place in WWE in 2014. So when we see it, it becomes more special because it makes everything feel real. Because that moment is real. We know that that wasn't staged or... Wasn't supposed to be staged anyway. Like I said, I'm pretty sure Dolph Ziggler just slammed his face into a ladder, just sacrificed his beautiful, beautiful face uh, for our entertainment. But that is why I think blood is so exciting in this era, because it's not allowed. Um, And if it were to be allowed, then it would make it less exciting. I don't think you need blood to tell the story. And, and, And storytelling, I think, as I've said many, many times, is the most important part of sports entertainment. It's the most important part of not only entertaining the people that are watching today, but compelling people to turn it on going forward. It works the same with any TV show. The story is what's going to make people say, you got to turn this show on. I think that what's going on on NXT, the WWE's developmental show that is aired uh, on the WWE Network, is exactly the type of programming the WWE Network needs. Because especially after their, uh, after their quarterly pay-per-view that happened last Thursday, Our Evolution, that show had people talking. And that's what you need to do. You need to have shows with stories that have people talking. And yes, that show, that NXT show, had some of the best wrestling that we've seen in a very long time on television anywhere. But one of the reasons why it was so good was because just about every match had a story to tell. Okay, Charlotte and Sasha Banks had uh, one of the most amazing women's matches we've ever seen. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that Sarah Del Rey is now training the uh, uh, potential divas down in Orlando. But another part is we cared about the story of that match. 
and they did a good job of educating us. Corey Graves and Alex Riley and the, and the broadcast team did a good job of educating the audience as to why we cared about the match. I think, as far as NXT goes, it's a double-edged sword. I think it's a, it's a great thing for the future of the WWE, because like I said, I said last week, the roster right now is just littered with amazing talent. And if you combine that with the talent that's in NXT right now, I mean, there has never been this many talented athletes. This many athletes that are talented on that level associated with this company all at one time, ever, 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 never. But we have to take this talent and make them compelling. It's not good enough to just be talented. They also have to be telling a story that makes you want to tune in next week. Oh my God, what's going to happen? I got to tune in to find out what's going to happen. It can't just be, oh yeah, I watched this show because the matches are really good. It's, I have to watch to find out what's going to happen. In a world where we have phones that have access to everything. We can go on YouTube. You can spend, you, you can scroll through Twitter for two hours. You can just message people on Facebook. You've got 150,000 channels. You've got Netflix and Vudu and Hulu and iTunes and everything imaginable. Every piece of content is not terribly far away from you. You can watch whatever you want at any time. Because of that, the television that we watch and commit to watching every week has to be, has to at least feel like you can't miss it. And that's where the storytelling comes in. Okay, and that's why Brock Lesnar not being on TV has done them a service. Because now, okay, you tell your friends, no, 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 Brock Lesnar came back on Monday. They're watching next week because they want to see what Brock Lesnar is going to do. I was talking to a coworker. He was saying, yeah, my Twitter feed was blowing up with people talking about whatever this NXT thing they were doing on Thursday was. I guess I got to check out the maybe I'll subscribe to the network for the month and check this thing out that people are talking about. You have to get people talking, and the only way you're going to do that is through stories that are compelling. Part of it is, of course, having good athletes, but it's the stories. NXT is a double-edged sword because the positive is they have this amazing talent roster. The negative is that NXT is a farm league. It's a developmental system. It is a feeder group. It is where... Uh, uh, wrestlers go who are supposedly not ready for the main roster. It's where it's it's the it's the teaching ground. So then you tell me why the NXT show that aired on Thursday night, the two-hour live R Evolution special, was maybe the best wrestling show of the year. If not, then it was WrestleMania 30. But it was up there with WrestleMania 30. WrestleMania 30. Our Evolution, and maybe SummerSlam. SummerSlam was a great show, too. But the NXT show that was on Thursday, the developmental show, was among the best, the top three, if not top two, if not top one wrestling shows of the year. And that's because the world title match was great between Sami Zayn and Adrian Neville. It's because you had Sasha Banks and Charlotte. It's because you had Kevin Owens, who's just amazing. It's because, I mean, you had Finn Balor, who has this spectacular entrance that's better than Finn Balor. He, his entrance 
in an arena that had probably less than 1,000 people was more spectacular than almost anything we've seen all year. Can you imagine a Finn Balor entrance in a stadium? Can you imagine a WrestleMania-level Finn Balor entrance? It doesn't even matter what he does in the ring at that point. People are just going to be talking about his entrance. And that's what I mean about compelling TV. The fact that he can go into the ring and completely tear it up is, is a bonus. And that you have all of that going on in Orlando. You go, wow, this is how good it could be. And then you turn on TLC and it's good. And you turn on Raw and it's not bad. But you don't look at these shows the way you looked at that NXT show. And, you know, it's easier to write for NXT. You've got one hour a week. And you've got four two-hour pay-per-views a year. You've got shows. You're taping four or five shows in one shot. So you can write four or five weeks of TV knowing, okay, I have this vision over the next five weeks. Let's get it all out now. Because if you write five weeks of live shows in advance, by week three, I was thinking about this. I'm just going to change this up because you can change it up. You can't write five weeks in advance full shows if you're doing live TV. It, just, it, it will never work. You'll be second-guessing yourself. You know what? I think I can do this a little better. Maybe I'll just tweak this. Or you'll listen to the crowd one week. And go, you know what? They were actually really reacting to that. Let's go in this direction. And that's a good thing to do. It's good to have that option. But it makes it so you can't have that thing where when you're watching NXT and these stories are playing out, it feels like it's a rich story. It's something that makes sense. It's something that has a beginning, middle, end. It's something that's well-planned and well-thought-out. It's not something we're making up as we go along. You know, you see guy, you know, you see New Day, right? Kofi Kingston and, and, and Big E and, and Xavier Woods. They get repackaged and they get these great looking new outfits. And they can cut a good promo. All of them are good on the mic. And they got theme music and they got a video and they have what appears to be a gimmick, but it's not really a gimmick. Because they're just coming out and saying, well, we just like to have a good time. There is, the I just like to have a good time guy has been tried over and over again in sports entertainment. There have been dozens of people who, they're just there to have a good time. And nobody has a good time with them. Because nobody wants to watch that. At 10 o'clock at night, after I've been working all day, I don't want to turn on the TV and watch somebody who's just happy to be there. Because I'm not happy to be there. I'm not happy to be anywhere. I'm not happy. You know? Who is? Who's happy to be there? I love the idea of New Day because I love the fact that they're doing something with Kofi Kingston. I think he's an amazing talent. Xavier Woods, I think, is great. And Big E, I think, has the potential to be great. And, and, and the fact that you're putting them together and, and giving them something is like, okay, let's see where this goes. But it doesn't have a – there's nothing – what is it? What is it? How do you explain that to somebody? Well, there are three black guys who wear baby blue and they have a good time. Okay, well, what, I mean, so – you know, if you were sitting there, if they were saying, hey, we're just here to have a good time, and then they kicked the crap out of anybody who didn't want them to have a good time, or they were pretending that they were just being positive, when in reality they were ruling with an iron fist, they were being tyrannical in their, in their pursuit of positivity. If they were saying, hey, we're just here to have a good time, and if you're not here to have a good time, we're going to tear your throat out, 
Then it's like, whoa, what do we got here? These guys are sociopaths. They're acting like they're having a good time. But they're just violent human beings. That I'm interested in. That I'm into. It's like what I was saying about Adam Rose. Like Adam Rose is never going to get over in his current form because he's just a guy who comes out and he parties. He likes to have a good time. Well, I'm not happy to be there, and the audience isn't happy to be there. Wrestling is an escape. That's why Stone Cold was so great. Because I wanted to kick my boss in his, in his nuts and drop a stunner on him too. Right? That's why he works. The uh, People haven't changed that much. Okay? And you can do it. And NXT proves that it's not a matter of, of TV PG, TV 14, Attitude Era. You can do it without the language, without the blood, without the adult themes. Because NXT puts on compelling stories every week without adult themes. You know, there are themes that an adult can relate to, but you can, a kid can watch NXT, and as a parent, you don't sit there kind of getting queasy. Because it's like, okay, but, but, but you can find some entertainment out of it. Okay, they have the talent on that roster to pull off. If you're watching for, for wrestling, if you want to see athletics, they have the talent. That they have. What NXT proves is that if you can put together a compelling story and you can create rich characters, then, I mean, you, you've got a gold mine. But NXT, when you watch it, storylines aside, like you could say, okay, well, they get to write, they, all they have to do is one hour a week. WWE, Raw and SmackDown, that's five hours a week. That's a, a five NXT shows worth of writing go into one week of WWE writing, okay? That's ridiculous. WWE guys wrestle... Four to five times a week. NXT guys do not. So you can't wrestle, quote, NXT style four to five times a week without getting yourself hurt. So that's another thing that you have to realize that these guys are busting ass four to five times a week. That's crazy. But when you watch NXT, and I know it's supposed to feel this way because it's like uh, it's the next thing. It feels hungry. NXT feels like they, they're trying to do something different. NXT feels like they're trying to make people talk. Monday Night Raw does not feel like they're trying to make people talk. Monday Night Raw feels like yeah, they're doing the show. Like we know what Monday Night Raw is. That's the show we do. Let's go out and do the show again. It's a great show. I watch it every week. If I didn't think that the Monday Night Raw show was a good show, I wouldn't watch it every week. I love the show. But it is, it's, it's a formula. It's, okay, we know how to do this show. Let's go do this show. NXT, you watch and you go, what is this? And that's what you should still be doing. I mean, Raw's been on the air for, you know, since 93. It's 20 years, Right? But you still, you just, you need, I don't know if it's a matter of getting new blood in. I don't know if it's a matter of, 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 of changing direction. But you need to get people to watch in 2014 and go, what is this? This is incredible. What is going on here? Oh, my God. I got to call somebody and tell them about this. I got to tweet about this. You know, I mean, to be the number one trend on Twitter, I guess it's a good thing. But Peter Pan the Musical was the number one trend on Twitter. People tweet about uh, – people love to make fun of stuff on Twitter. 
there's good tweets and there's bad tweets. You know, you don't you don't need something that gets hate tweeted every week. You need something that people are tweeting going, oh, my God, the stuff that I'm seeing right here is stuff I've never seen before. You know, and NXT is, is doing something that WWE never did. NXT is embracing the past of the superstars that are in NXT. You see it all over the place more and more. Whether they're hiring people from New Japan Pro Wrestling or from the American Independence or whatever it is, anybody that has a history in sports entertainment, yeah, the names are being changed, the, the, the characters are being tweaked. But that past that those guys have that they've been successful with on a smaller scale, on smaller scale you know, avenues are being embraced and they're being tweaked and they're being used. I just think that the NXT feels like it's moving in a new direction, and that's the that's the direction. I hope that Monday Night Raw and SmackDown realize that that's the direction because if NXT keeps putting out shows that are as good as the one they put out last week, it's going to make Monday Night Raw and SmackDown fans fed up. That's what happens, and I mean, I get it's all good. It's all one company. We're all working together, whatever. But you can't have people getting fed up with Monday Night Raw because of how good NXT was. And that doesn't mean making NXT worse. That means doing what the brand split between Raw and SmackDown was supposed to do. And that means letting one feed the other. That means letting one rise up, push the other one. Let Raw say, we can't let NXT be better than us. This is what's going to push us because NXT feels like something is pushing it. Like we don't have a choice but to excel here. Monday Night Raw does not have that feeling. It feels like Monday Night Raw feels like we've learned how to be successful. Let's keep doing that. NXT feels like we have to eat or we're going to die. Let's get all the food that we can. And that's what you want to watch. You want to watch the guy who has it all on the line. This is it for me. Not, okay, I know how to do it. I'm just going to keep doing that. That's the difference. That's the difference as far as I can see it. Listen, I'm already overboard on the amount I wanted to talk. There's a lot more that I want to get into. There's specifics I'd like to get into. I guess it'll have to wait. When I'm talking to Mick Foley, there's nothing that I want to interrupt in that conversation. So please, please send me some tweets. At NotSam on Twitter. Uh, and at not same on Facebook, you can send me Facebook messages too, and uh, I'll I'll address and answer some of your questions if I have time on future episodes of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, specifically this section, the state of wrestling. Remember, uh, take the survey if you get a chance. Go to notsam.com. There's a link on the support the podcast page as well as on the blog page. Take a, it's a real quick survey. Maybe I'll tweet out the link tomorrow too. It's a real quick survey. Um, be a part of it. And, uh, and it would really help the podcast. Tell your friends about the podcast. Tweet your friends about it. Put it up on your Facebook page. Leave positive reviews on iTunes. Click that five stars. Whatever you got to do. Get the word out because I want to keep doing this for you. Um, I appreciate it. Hope you had a good time listening to this. And I will see you next week for another episode. And remember, it's the holiday season. So watch the I Am Santa Claus documentary, okay? It's on Netflix. Have a great day, everybody. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.
and subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast.